Today on Ag News Daily. So with the start of my you know new venture with Geosman going out on my own now, I'm trying to, to take all of that, you know, those solutions and identifying the little problems in the way of adoption. Happy Friday to you. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. But before we jump into some breaking news for you today, don't forget that nothing gets in the way of hashtag Mow Day. We are proudly brought to you by Grasshopper Mowers this week and thank them for their support. Delaney, how are you doing? I'm good. I got to be honest, though. I'm surprised. I knew I was going to be tired this morning, but you sound a little tired yourself, Tanner. (laughs) And we shouldn't be because you asked for sunshine yesterday and I'm being blinded through the window with this big ball of sun that I don't think we've seen for a couple of days. Yes, certainly nice to see the sun this morning. And it's April 1st. I don't have, sorry, cats out of the bag. I don't have a good April Fool's joke for you. (laughs) I really tried to think through one and nothing came to mind. So it's going to be April Fool's jokes free, I promise. I have a six and eight-year-old daughter. And all this morning before they got on the bus, it was, Dad, do you want to watch sports? And then they turned on cartoons. And, hey, Dad, do you want some juice? And it was a glass of water. And uh, thankfully, (laughs) at that age, the pranks aren't too bad. That's true. They're kind of probably predictable and probably pretty cute. Yep. And you just go right along with it. So, no, I, uh, I don't have anything for you either. Maybe our listeners will try and surprise us with something before the day's out. I would love that. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, good. Uh, first thing I wanted to share is uh, a buddy of mine, co-host of the Farm for Profit podcast, is currently president of the Iowa chapter of Realtors Land Institute. And they put out their survey this week, letting us know that in the state of Iowa, farmland went up 14 percent in the last six months. So it says right here in his article that high quality crop ground is now at $14,080 an acre, up 14.1% since their September meetings. The medium quality crop ground is at $10,902 an acre. That's up 14.2. That low quality ground is $7,700 an acre, up 13.7. So everything hovering around that 14% gain mark since September which is staggering. That is a pace that is one that will be very hard to keep up with. The second part of the article, Delaney, said that according to the survey, 64% of the buyers are still farmers. 36% are investors. So that investor group is typically using 1031 exchange money. So that came from the Realtor Land Institute survey um, as they just got done with having their meetings. I think the bigger question in my mind is, well, a couple of thoughts that makes it really hard for young people to get back into the business of agriculture, unless you grew up on a farm and have farmland to potentially inherit or buy from older generations. But the bigger question, I think, is when are those farmland prices going to come back down? Because what goes up does eventually have to come back down and does it come back down as quickly and aggressively as it has gone up? Yeah, it's quite interesting now with the amount of news, the amount of ability to um, consume information, that farmland's always been pegged as that conservative investment, that steady investment. It will always be here. And time after time, the values continue to increase in the long term. You know, you may catch a dip every once in a while, but the struggles and that I've learned from talking to a lot of different farmers is they spent their lives working in agriculture, working on the farm, knowing what assets are worth. 
and to convince them to put their money in the stock market alone is a really hard thing to do. So it seems like until our aging demographic of farmers actually gets beyond the investable stage of their life, I don't see land values coming down because that's the only comfortable vehicle that majority of farmers feel like putting their money in. Mm -hmm. I'd like to feel like you have a pretty good handle on that too, since you work with a lot of farmers and your parents are farmers and your in-laws are farmers. So I think we'll take your, take your word for now. (laughs) That's good. We'll just run with it, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, yesterday, you know, we had the prospective plantings report and we chatted with Ted Seifert about that report. Super explosive moves in corn yesterday with some limit up touching limit up at a few points didn't close limit up on the day but you know i realized as ted and i were recording we really didn't get out clearly what those numbers were and i'm sure most people have heard them for now but i'm just going to run through them really quickly in case you hadn't heard them but essentially the prospective plantings report showed a pretty bullish position for corn the estimate came in at 89.4 million acres the average was 91.9 and so this estimate in corn was actually below the range of analyst expectations soybean acres came in at 90.9 and again right in line with the range but the average was about 91 million acres so certainly higher acres in soybean didn't bode well yesterday for the markets so as but as ted mentioned it's going to be interesting to see how today and monday opens because he still thinks there's a lot of bullish fundamentals driving both corn and soybeans and then in wheat we saw 47.3 million acres for all wheat and it's interesting to note like ted said yesterday tanner that a lot of these change in increases, changes in increases or decreases in acres came from some non-traditional states that we don't often think of as being market movers, you know, Virginia, Alabama, Oklahoma, not primarily where we think of where we grow corn and soybeans, but nonetheless, it's going to be interesting to see how things trade today. And in the overnights right now, Wheat's really the only market that is currently up. So we'll take a look here before we kick it over to today's interview, but thought that might be an interesting thing to share with our listeners today. It is. And I can't count the number of articles that I read that tried to remind us that this was actually not put together with survey data, mm-hmm. that this this was a prediction analysis by the USDA. So uh, it'll be interesting to see as we move into these planting seasons across the country, and get to our planning progress reports to see how much of this actually still holds true. Tanner, when are you guys going to hit the fields? <laughs> it's the forecast, the 30 I had a lot of conversations with customers yesterday and with my in-laws that you look at the 30-day forecast and we have some still very cold temperatures in the evening hours. Uh, we're going to peak a couple of days but uh, I don't think there's anybody here in central Iowa that is super excited to put some seeds in the ground. So it could be pushing the end of April uh, before anybody really starts to get excited about trying some early, and I'm using air quotes, mm-hmm. uh, 2022 crop seeding. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe not really probably getting in the fields until at least after Easter weekend. So probably, yeah, end of end of April is what I'm thinking too. You bet. The kind of right along the lines of uh, the strength in commodity markets is the dollar. It's been kind of interesting to track the pace and the strength of the U.S. dollar uh, compared to other world currencies because of the rapid move of inflation. So this is going to be one of those 
financially related articles, Delaney, that I talked about early in the week. But coming out of London, the euro fell Friday morning. So that's this morning. And it fell in compared to a strengthening U.S. dollar. So today is the key U.S. jobs report that comes out. And that is one of the indicators that the Federal Reserve uses the unemployment rate for when they're talking about raising their base rate. So the big talk is the next meeting. They're looking at moving that base rate up 50 basis points. So uh, if you are working on an operating line of credit, it's typically tied to Wall Street Journal Prime. When the Fed moved their base rate last time a quarter, Prime went up a quarter. So I would expect the same. If the Fed moves their basis up 50 points, your operating notes are probably going to move up 50 points. But the euro, like I said, it failed to do any type of a comparison to the dollar. And they're also battling inflation in Europe. So their inflation for March climbed 7.5%, hitting another record high. So it's kind of nice, Delaney, to get out of our back yard and look at around the world. The U.S. is not the only country that's experiencing high rates of inflation. But if we, yep, but if this labor report comes out today on Friday with the predictions close to a half a million new jobs being added and that unemployment rate ticking lower, we could very easily see another half point increase and a following meeting. So before June 15th, June 14th, see another half percent. So there's a strong, a strong market analysis right now that if this report comes out, it could set us up for almost a guaranteed 1% in the next 90 days. You know, I got to ask, what's the correlation between the job report and interest? Is it just showing that more people are back to work, so they probably have more money to spend and can afford an interest rate? Or what's the thought process there? Yeah, just the Fed has just announced over the last two years, um, obviously, as we kind of hit the COVID market and uh, they started to ease their rates back to help you know, keep us out of a recession, that their key figures that they were watching were the unemployment rate, inflation, and the GDP. So that's just going to be one of the factors. And obviously, inflation right now is soaring. So they've already checked that box off. Um, Russia and Ukraine kind of messed with can accurately think for uh, our GDP ratings for the country. So you throw in a positive jobs report that shows, yep, companies are expanding, we're uh, offering more jobs. You correlate that with lower unemployment, meaning people are actually going back to work. And they've checked off two of their three boxes to kind of move forward with increasing rates. That's signaling to them that the economy is strong enough and that it, it, it can withstand higher interest rates. Okay. Got it. Thank you for explaining that. That's kind of what I thought, but I always wanted to get that clarified. And I'm sure maybe some of our listeners did too. Yeah. The uh, the last piece of that article obviously talks um, about everybody's favorite and that's Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin's had a tough 2022, um, but has regained back to the levels that it started the year off with. So it states here that as of Monday, so a little bit dated, um, it was back up to over 48,000 for the first time since the 1st of January. Well, Blayton trades a lot of Bitcoin. And to be honest, I've just given up asking him where positions are at because they're so volatile. So maybe now I feel confident to ask where those positions are at again. There you go. Well, as I mentioned on the podcast yesterday, the Biden administration is planning to release quite a bit of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve over the next six months to help control the price of gas as well. Well, yesterday, 
We also got some news that the Biden administration is also looking at potentially considering removing temporary restrictions on summer sales of higher ethanol gasoline blends as a way to lower fuel costs on the ethanol side of the tank as well. But Arlen Suderman, I get his morning newsletters and he said, you know, this is just a drop in the bucket. It's really not going to do a whole lot for the ethanol demand scene. But this review does come as, uh, of course, he's we're trying to see the administration control inflation, control the ethanol and gasoline prices now as well. And uh, this is just kind of another move, I think, in that whole scenario, that whole picture of trying to uh, make controls in the economy. But this action, of course, would be welcomed by ethanol industry folks, not so welcomed by oil industry folks. But uh, the summertime ban on E15, you know, we've talked a lot about that. And they would be specifically lifting restrictions on E15 versus E10, which is found at most U.S. gasoline stations. So uh, it looks like the folks in uh Congress will be voting on this. It's a bipartisan group and should see answers probably later this month. Oh, so that's going to move pretty quickly. Like this it, is ready it to... It seems like it. And I think yeah. it has a little bit of a tailwind from the president himself to look at doing this. So I think that certainly helps move things along a little quick, quicker. Yes, I would uh, I would agree. It Without them actually coming out and saying it... Um, Things don't usually move that fast unless there's additional incentive for yes from behind. Mm -hmm. I don't have great news if you like cooking with sunflower oil and you live in a market that would import sunflower seeds and oil from Russia. Because as of yesterday, Russia announced that they are banning exports of sunflower seeds and oil from today until the end of August. They are concerned about having shortages in country. And this is a act that they are going to do and put in place to avoid having those shortages at their Ministry of Agriculture. Uh, the government has already approved this ban, along with other measures to stabilize their rapidly inflating domestic prices in Russia. So um, not necessarily going to affect the United States, but um, a lot of countries that were getting their sunflower seeds and oil from Ukraine and Russia are now cut off. India is one of those major consumers. And as we discussed earlier this week, that Ukraine's exports are really only able to go out by rail right now. And that is scaled back to less than 10% of regular capacity. Uh, and now Russia shuts that off. It's going to lead some of these countries and trading partners in a very tough spot for what's considered a, a pretty essential piece of, again, food security. Yeah, and this ban, Tanner, is intended to last until August. So a considerable length of time here that this is almost six months really is what they've seen. And who knows if they'll extend the ban past then. But you not only consider that Russia is uh, considering this ban, but of course, Ukraine is a large, the largest sunflower seed slash oil producer in the world. And they're still not able to export through the Black Sea ports because Russia still has a lot of warships on that front and is not letting Ukraine free trade ships in or out. So there's a lot of discussion about where to reroute some of those Ukrainian purchases through. But usually 
this is a little bit of insider information. I'm not going to share my source, but uh, usually the Black Sea region's about $15 per ton transportation costs. There's some farmers looking at some really interesting reroute routes, such as going through Romania, which would make it more than $60 per ton shipping costs. So certainly would eat into those farmers' bottom line. But ultimately, it sounds like a lot of farmers in Russia in you or excuse me in Ukraine are trying to figure out how to make money and how to continue to do their business while still dealing with uh, Russia blocking a lot of their efforts. Yeah, and I was kind of reading into the sentiment of the articles that all reported on this that this was kind of a negative sign. You know, we had hopeful outcomes of the talks that were um, starting up. I believe weren't they in Istanbul? Yes. Um, and then these new restrictions come about. And if they are projected out through August, that doesn't give us a lot of hope that things will end very soon. Yes. And that's kind of the question mark still, I think, Tanner. Yeah, most certainly. But um, I hate to end a Friday on some downer news, but that's what I've got. Unless you have something else to bring us back up, Delaney. Mm. I don't really. I could, I should have looked for some sort of funny piece of news. I'm trying to rack my brain and think uh, if I have anything, but unfortunately, I don't really either. Yeah, I only had one down at the Commodity Classic where I had you know brought in those funny pictures of dogs trying to catch a piece of cheese. But no, I don't have anything to add <laughs> add today uh, outside of that. But hopefully, we can see some stability hit these grains today, um, like you had mentioned the. Some significant moves in both directions yesterday, obviously positive on the corn side. Beans took a little bit of a tumble. Um, We'll see if traders were just correcting their positions uh, as we get ready for the weekend, if today might be quiet or what other speculation we may run into doing. Absolutely. And it's going to be today is really going to be a pertinent day to watch in the markets because we should see some sort of hopefully reaction to the fact that, yes, we've traded yesterday's prospective plantings report. Now we're going to focus again on those things that matter, such as weather, such as Ukraine, such as South America. So today should be a little bit more telling day to see what way the markets want to head uh, into the weekend. So with that, Tanner, let's take a quick break before we kick things over to today's interview. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there on that grasshopper mower, You don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Big thank you there to Grasshopper Mowers. And Tanner, let's tee up this interview a little bit here. Chatting with Dr. Ashley Hammock, who is the founder of Geosman. And they do quite a few interesting things in the regenerative agriculture and soil health space, but recently did an event called Healthy Farms, Healthy Communities. And we're going to talk with Ashley about that today. So let's turn it over to Ashley. Well, for today's Friday interview, we are talking to Dr. Ashley Hammock of G. Osman. Dr. Hammock, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ashton. It's great to be here. 
And I'm really excited for the conversation that we're going to have on this Friday interview. But before we get into that, I want to know a little bit more about your background and how Geosman came to be. Well, I so as far as my education goes, I got all three of my degrees in soil science um, from kind of all over. Uh, I grew up in the southeast and um, did some school, did some part of my education there and and then went out to the Pacific Northwest and got my Ph.D. at Washington State University. Um, I've done both academic and government research, uh, done, you know, nonprofit work as well as work with the, in the corporate sector and kind of stayed true to my passion the whole, during that whole period, uh, of my overarching theme, which is to, to do, you know, promote, uh, conservation practices in agriculture. One of the common commonalities I've seen across all of those areas is that we have these big problems out there, such as, um, you know, water quality, uh, air pollution, things like that. And then, but, and we have solutions to those problems, i.e. conservation practices. Uh, but there are these other little problems behind kind of in the way, I guess, of adopting those conservation practices and, and those, those little problems are different everywhere you go. So you can, you know, talk to a farmer in one place um, and they say, well, we can't do that here because of X. And you go to another place and we said, they say, we can't do it because of Y. And it's, it's all, there's all these different localized problems getting in the way of adopting conservation practices. But another thing I've seen is that, also in each of those areas, you know, in all of those areas, you'll see somebody who's really, you know, trying to make conservation work. And so I, I've talked to, you know, both, both people, you know, the, both types of people, the, the ones who are really struggling to make it work, or, you know, maybe they're not having as, as much of a problem as you might think. And I've talked to the people who say, well, I don't want to do it because of X, Y, or Z. And I've, so with the, start of my, you know, new venture with Geosman going out on my own. Now I'm trying to, to take all of that, you know, those solutions and identifying the little problems in the way of adoption and get out to farmers on an individual or maybe on a small group basis in a local area to help them overcome those obstacles. and. Um, and I really think that I'm equipped now with, you know, the the tools to do that. Now, you have some of these other folks that have been doing it a long time and they they've, you know, gotten it to work economically as well as, you know, uh, logistically and, and things like that. But, you know, the most people, you know, and granted, that's uh, that's completely understandable. They they ha they it has to work economically. You know, that, that that's their business. And I, I totally understand that. Um, and so where I can add value to a farmer's operation is I can get them 
to, to be able to overcome those obstacles to adoption faster than they would be trying to trying it out on their own. And I can also help them with maintaining their profitability through that process. So I don't want to anybody to, you know, lose money while they're trying to, to make these modifications. Um, and, and I, I have the tools that can help people, uh, do that. And that was part of what, what, uh, healthy soils or healthy farms, healthy communities was all about was trying to spread that message. And, and I really believe that it's a, you know, it's not just what happens on the farm stays on the farm. You know, when we improve our soils, we improve the farm, we improve the profitability of the farm, the land value, we improve the water quality, air quality, and that ripples outward into the community so that, you know, it's not just felt by the farmer who's doing it, it's felt by the whole community. And that has a compounding effect. And I really believe that it's, it all starts with improving the soils. You mentioned healthy farms and healthy communities. Um, and that is an event that Diosman put on back on March 23rd. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about what exactly happened? I know that you guys had a great speaker lineup. Farmers also were able to stand up and speak themselves about their experiences. So why don't you kind of clue us in as to what occurred? Okay, so yeah, first off, we had um, two farmers speak about their operation and and some of the challenges that they've overcome along the way. Uh, Dylan DeSutter from Attica, Indiana, uh, and Mike Stites from Kokomo, Indiana, uh, and and that was really really good um, having them show up and and get up on stage. Then we had. <clears throat> Three researchers uh, from academia and um, go- government. Uh, we had Chad Penn from USDA Ag Research Service, who spoke about um, nutrient management and um, you know ph- phosphorus, kind of the difference between phosphorus and nitrogen, and uh, some new ways of thinking about how to manage. Uh, to keep keep those from leaving the field uh, and leaving the farm, uh, they they both have a you know can have a big impact on air and water quality. Uh, so then after Chad, we had uh, Carla Gage from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, and she had uh, a great talk about uh, alternative weed management strategies. And uh, herbicide resistance, um, and kind of kind of set it up with the herbicide resistance, and you know talking about how look we're we're becoming too dependent on these herbicides, and even with you know the new the new herbicide um, resistant uh, corn and soybean, uh, we're already seeing resistant weeds to those to those types of um, herbicides and I'm not a, a herbicide person but I know that that's one of the major roadblocks uh, for people is you know weed management so she gave some 
set it up with talking about the herbicide resistance, but then talked about, okay, well, here's what you can do. Here's some other things that can help you to lessen your need, your dependency on, um, you know, herbicide. And so that's, you know, that's one of the, one of the ways that I want to be able to help people is by reducing their input costs. Uh, so then she talked about that. Um, then we had two specialists speaking, um, one from Purdue Extension and one from the Rodale Institute. Ashley Adair from Purdue Extension talked about, um, how, you know, kind of some considerations for, um, transitioning to organic, uh, organic grain production. And then, uh, Leah Varik from Rodale, Rodale Institute spoke about, um, you know, some considerations, uh, for reduced till organic. Uh, a lot of people want to keep their no-till and, you know, conservation tillage. Um, and so they see that as an issue with trying to convert to organic. Uh, so she kind of laid out some, you know, some good information about, you know, here's how you can do it, but kind of a, a happy medium in between, you know, full width tillage and, and, um, you know, and sticking to no till with the heavier dependency on chemicals. Um, and then at, at, so after Leia, we had another researcher from academia, um, Michelle Wander from the University of Illinois, who really gave a lot of information about all the developments with soil health and ecosystem services markets, like, like the carbon trading market. And she really kind of gave us a really good look at what's to come, you know, with all the, all the carbon markets, but there are going to be other ones that develop with other types of ecosystem services with, you know, how farmers can kind of get paid for, for, um, conserving, um, the soil and, and water quality. Um, so, and then at, at the very end, we had the farmers, get back up on stage and kind of field questions uh, that developed over the course of the day. Uh, they were, you know, kind of on a panel, I guess you could say they were just, just up there and um, had some really great questions. Um, really a lot of great discussions. A lot of the good discussions happen, you know, around the lunch table, we had a really good lunch um, and, you know, kind of little small groups that break out, you know, you get a lot of good discussions. I was in on uh, several of those. Um, but yeah, overall, it was a great, great day. Lots of good information, lots of great discussions. Well, Ashley, if anyone else or any of our listeners want to learn a little bit more about G. Osman, want to learn a little bit more about you, maybe get in contact to have some more great discussions, where can they find you out online? Yeah, um, my website is uh, geosman.us, G-E-O-S-M-I-N.us. And I'm on there. I can they can contact me through uh, my email address, which is on there. They could also sign up for 
um, you know, uh, subscription. I don't, I don't send out a lot of emails. Um, but I would use that to, in order to let people know what's going on. If there's any other events that I'm, uh, getting together or if I, you know, have any kind of relevant information I want to share with people, I'll send out, um, um, emails to my subscribers there. Um, I'm on all the social media. Um, got a Giosman Facebook, Twitter, um, pages. You, I've got a YouTube channel. Yeah. So if anybody also wants to see the, the pre, the presentations, uh, from the, the workshop last week, healthy farms, healthy communities, I recorded the whole thing. I haven't actually looked at it yet to see if the video quality and the sound quality is good, but I was, I was hoping to, to post that online, uh, on my YouTube channel and then put a link on my website. So if anybody wants to check that out, they can do that also. And I was going to also, uh, make it, you know, if anybody wanted to, sign up for CCA credits, they could also do that. Um, I haven't figured out exactly how that's going to work, but it'll all be on my website. Awesome. Well, Dr. Hammack, thank you once again for coming on and chatting with us today. Certainly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Ashton. It was great being here and uh, uh, look forward to, you know, uh, hearing you know, other things that you guys uh, talk about and promote. I, I looking forward to hearing other um, you know, people on your podcast, because it seems like you, you guys probably do a great job. Well, that was a fun conversation, Delaney, with Dr. Ashley. Uh, regenerative agriculture's really kind of kicked off and, you know, buzzwords, one of those poor phrases to use, but it certainly is becoming more of a focus as farmers are continuing to do the best that they can to take care of their natural resources while producing a sustainable and healthy food source for the world. Absolutely. It's really interesting to talk about the regenerative ag space as a lot more companies are coming into that space as well and uh, looking at new ways to kind of meet that growing demand. So certainly won't be a conversation we discontinue to have. We'll be continuing to have that, I'm sure, more often than not on the podcast as we continue to move forward. But Tanner, this is the end of week one for you. I have a perfect April Fool's joke. I could have fired you today. Oh, wouldn't that have been wouldn't that have been exciting? Yes, I don't On know. If listeners would have been uh, holding their breath all weekend to see if I showed back up on Monday. <laughs> well, you could have also probably flipped it the other way and told me and you quit. Said I quit and just yeah. stopped off. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We uh, we need that energy. That's what that's what Ag News Daily needs is just a little bit of that to send everybody a into a world of wonder. Uh, yeah, a little healthy. Not rivalry of sorts, but um, banter, healthy banter. I like it. Well, that's good. Well, happy Friday to everybody. Thank you for listening to us. And Delaney, what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.